BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Another special Friday night edition of the pod. I am very glad that we waited to record until tonight. Another just classic, brutal prize fight of a game between OKC and Utah. Utah ends up winning it 96-91 and taking the series, staving off a frantic, and I do mean frantic, OKC comeback. Lots of places to start with this one. I think we do want to start about that call on Paul George where he got Rudy Gobert in the air appeared to draw contact on a three-point foul or three-point shot for a three-shot foul with OKC down by three and no call was made I was absolutely shocked by that did you feel similarly I did and when you consider where the thresholds usually are on those plays this was well within the bounds that are not only normally called but almost always called and the explanation after the game from Rod Garrettson meeting with friend of the show Fred Katz of the Norman transcript, he said, and this is the quote, Rudy Gobert jumped to the right of Paul George. Our determination was Rudy would not have made contact with Paul had he, meaning Paul George, not jumped sideways into Gobert's legal space. We determined it to be a non-call. And if in fact that were what had happened, I completely support that, right? We were railing against Kevin Love having gotten a couple of those calls in the last month or so where he takes a big giant step to his right. And I will admit the camera angles that I've seen so far, you can't really see that, but I didn't perceive a big step to the right. Garrettson's response acknowledged that there was contact. I think that that was very, very clear. You know, the ones that we've seen with Love, he's been in the right corner. It's lined up. You can see him take that big step to the right. We didn't have a perfect angle for that on George, but it looked like a pretty normal shot to me that he wasn't that far outside of the cone of his normal body in live action. Again, we didn't have the angle necessarily to see a step to the right, uh, but I was shocked it didn't happen we had the sound off uh, which is what we always do for the twitter nba show and i called it as a foul on the screen i thought it was just so obvious and then no they didn't call it and then okc had a bunch of plays where it looked like they had followed the jazz and they didn't actually end up following until six seconds remained i think they were just also so disengaged because they were shocked that it wasn't a foul but i mean i i said on the show i thought that i generally hate calls like that that one looked like it was really obvious to me and of all the calls that are called on that the get guy in the air in the air and pump fake i thought that that was like in the 90th percentile of ones that deserve to be a foul you know who else it looked like believed it was a foul quinn snyder i mean the seeing especially on the more distant replay snyder just go put his head in his hands and just walk as the ball is in the air not realizing that they didn't call a foul because it looked it looked that way and i mean that could also be just that gobert bit as hard as he did and all that kind of stuff but i don't want that well so let's Let's talk about what would have happened just briefly if that foul had been called. So Paul George shot that with about 18 seconds to go. OKC was down three. So if he makes all three fouls, foul free throws, then Utah has the ball with timeouts if theoretically they want to drop a play, and they would have a tie game. And so any you know any shot as long as they did it properly, any shot that went in would win them the game, and a miss would go to overtime. George could have also missed one or more of those free throws. That was one of the through lines of this game was missed free throws george only got to the line for two and was split those so that's not really necessarily predictive one way or the other he did have tired legs he played 45 minutes in the game so it's not like this was swung a win to a loss but it's 
certainly took it from a much higher chance of a win to an almost guaranteed loss yeah no i mean it probably after that miss it, their win percentage probably goes down to like you know under five percent uh and i'm looking at the overhead view of it now and george did take a little bit of a step to his right this was actually on the fox sports oklahoma broadcast so i didn't get a look at this one but no i thought i i, I think looking even at that there is george took a step that was about four inches to his right and he attempted to lean his shoulder in a little bit but i think gobert there's no way gobert doesn't make contact with him even if he goes straight up on that play george's momentum also is already going to his right as well when he pulls up which is another part of it uh, with the pump fake so yeah i I think it was definitely a missed call to me it was a surprising one but you know this probably took the thunder win percentage when you consider the chance of him missing one of those free throws which you know if he's an 85 percent free throw shooter there's still a pretty substantial chance that he misses one of those and then even then you only got a 50 percent win percentage so i mean that foul probably cost him about you know a 15 percent chance of winning the game ultimately maybe 20 percent chance if you really go through and game it out uh so it's not as big of a deal and i certainly would have made the jazz favorites in overtime except for mitchell's five fouls that's probably the one thing that but obviously the jazz were the fresher team by this point and, and, and had more depth and the thunder were just living on russell westbrook hopes and, and prayers but that's enough on that call let's talk about uh, the meat of the game itself and i said this during the show i got a lot of shit from philly fans about how it was just so obvious that ben simmons had a, a better season i just a moron for even thinking of that donovan mitchell could be the rookie of the year i said it was extremely close i ended up going with mitchell i believe that mitchell is the slightly better prospect than simmons and obviously it's a regular season award but to watch what he has done in this series and say that it's not a close case like ben simmons could not be doing the things that donovan mitchell is doing there's some things that simmons does that mitchell couldn't be doing either but donovan mitchell guarded russell westbrook for a great many of his 43 shot attempts in regulation in this series in this game i should i should just clarify that sorry actually i'll i'll give this i'll give this stat because i looked it up not only ben golver had tweeted out that this was tied with russell westbrook for the most shots by an active player in a playoff game but per basketball reference it was the third tied for the third most ever in their database for a playoff game the two higher being michael jordan attempted 45 in a game against cleveland in 1988 and then rick barry has the record attempted 48 shots against the philadelphia 76ers in the 67 final yeah and that's in regulation i assume yeah i believe both of those games did not go to yeah, because jordan had 44 shots in game three of the 93 finals against the suns too but that was a triple overtime affair uh but mitchell i mean to have guarded russell westbrook on those shots we'll talk about westbrook's performance in a second here and then to play 40 minutes of his own 14 of 26 from the field 38 points five of eight from three he made his first five three-pointers five of five from the foul line did have five turnovers but with that level of usage that's not awful and just the shots that he made in that third quarter when i think he scored 20 points he just was killing the thunder switching defense and it was so interesting danny i mean we talked about this too you said the jazz were in big trouble when they were down 35 26 because it looked like they had zero traction against okc's switching defense they weren't even coming close to getting good shots and then all of a sudden everything changed for them yeah and it changed originally in a different way they were able to get a couple looks in transition including a big joe ingles corner three got to the free throw line a couple times including an over the backbreaker i believe Derek favors drew the foul i'm trying to remember who it was Derek favors who also shot one for seven from the free throw line in this game but donovan mitchell in that third quarter i mean 22 points four of five in the restricted area three of three from three and then he was only other two he split his two other shots so it was mostly done in those areas but also got to the free throw line for three free throws which he actually made which was a rarity in this game and he was creating a lot of the other looks for for the fellow his fellow jazz men and it was incredible to see that happen and on a lot of these possessions you know they were starting with paul george on mitchell and that wasn't necessarily where it finished because of switches and everything else but utah had gotten so little early in that game especially once carmelo left the game and mitchell was set central i mean he's the reason really that this turnaround for the jazz and they almost scored as many points in the third quarter 37 as they scored in the entire first half which was 41 and to me donovan did not start of course with the switching scheme right and i think maybe a little of that was just to kind of dummy it out uh, thinking that the jazz would be 
you ready for it and they got beat up a little bit early rubio had another great pass to gobert for an easy lefty layup and then rubio suffered a recurrence with his hamstring uh, uh, which has been giving him trouble for quite some time here you remember he missed the game went back and played really well in that game in minnesota then he missed games again came back hamstrings can obviously be very tricky and his availability for game one has got to be in question now in the houston series with a quick turnaround there but and especially because he just got ruled out of the game immediately essentially and so donovan when he took carmelo out of the game brought in grant and they went right back to the switching scheme and all of a sudden the jazz just could not score to save their lives they went on a nice little run end of the first start of the second and then when the thunder brought their guys back in westbrook adam tatara it was back up to 35 26 like i mentioned and they just i thought i was really disappointed in Snyder because i thought oh they're gonna like have some stuff ready right they're gonna slip screens they're gonna have some more action some more plays that are designed to take advantage of a switching team we didn't see any of that it was all just trying to go one-on-one mitchell was struggling everybody else was doing even worse and then all of a sudden and part of this was because carmelo came back in the game it just clicked for them one of the things they were doing was Derek favors who was being guarded of course by carmelo coming up pretending to set a screen and then just rolling right to the basket and carmelo you're not really supposed to switch until there's an actual screen set and there's contact and so favors was just running up and then running away and carmelo was basically double teaming the ball and they could throw it right to favors and then they had the four on three and favors was right at the rim on a lot of those plays um so they started getting going that way they started bringing guys off of screens to the weak side i think it was alec burks who hit a huge three on westbrook i think that might have been in the second half but this is some of the stuff that they were doing where he just sprinted to the opposite side of the floor and westbrook turned his head burks gave them just enough minutes here because of course rubio was out he gave him some nice penetration at times that they desperately needed he was able to go at carmelo as well and i mean every action it seemed like as mitchell got going at the end of the second quarter and then he scored i think the first 12 points for the jazz in the third as they got up to a 10 point lead immediately after halftime essentially that was all not all but a lot of it in actions involving carmelo just on the switch him just kind of double teaming not really switching the way he was supposed to and as it turned out carmelo finished the game negative 19 in 26 minutes seven points three of seven from the field and as is so often the case when it comes down to it and a team and this is different when a a team is coming from behind or when when they're behind because then you need to go differently you see what a coach actually thinks is best and Melo was not on the floor Corey Brewer was not on the floor Jeremy Grant not a surprise I thought Jeremy Grant was very impactful defensively also had a a couple of surprising scores in this game including a a corner three that I thought I personally thought Jake Ryder should have closed out better on but the more surprising of those two subs was that it wasn't Alex Abrinas who had been so central in game five it was Raymond Felton and why Raymond Felton bothered me in that spot was you do not need his shot creation Russell Westbrook is creating and taking almost every shot the other ones are created and taken by Paul George Felton not as versatile defensively and it's not like he's a better shooter than Abrinas so I didn't think Felton made a ton of sense in that lineup I do not think that's why OKC lost this game and I do think that having Melo out was more important than the Felton Abrinas difference I just found it interesting yeah that was a little odd and I'd love to get to the the end of the game but a few other things I want to discuss in the beginning here uh late in the second as the Jazz got back into it Adams got his third foul on I thought a really bad call Derek Favors had inside position on him Scott Foster called it from behind Adams and called Adams with the push but he could he would have had to have had x-ray vision to see through Adams body to see if he had shoved uh, Derek Favors and then Favors had reached around behind him and grabbed Adams jersey on the play if anything it should have been a foul on Favors that ended up uh, being a big problem as Adams had to go out of the game and then Jeremy Grant had a massive lefty block of Favors that just was somehow called a foul and so he had to go out with three fouls as well so they had to go back to Carmelo and Patrick Patterson and that was a big part in the Jazz getting back into it right at the end of the half tying the game at at 41 um and I want to talk a little bit just about how Mitchell was doing what he was doing like his finishing has just been an absolute revelation like he sucked as a finisher in college like and some of the articles have been written about him how he's able to just internalize stuff that they show him immediately I mean that's clearly true even this season right like finishing off a one foot you know he came down for a big dunk in game five off a one foot in this game he's able to just accelerate so quickly and not necessarily jump that high off one foot but he can get extension his extension is unbelievable he had 
a move that I never see NBA players do that's actually more common in women's basketball where you do an up and under and then you step through and lift your back foot off the ground so you can get way more extension almost into a layup and that's not a travel you lift that foot off the ground and take a step forward but you're not actually traveling because that right foot never comes down again you know it's basically you're jumping but you're jumping one foot at a time and it women's basketball happens all the time nobody in the nba uses that which is a shame because you could cover so much ground on that move with the athletes but he did that move you know i've basically never seen an nba player do that move i'm shocked you didn't mention the scoop shots yeah that was now he's got the best scoop shots in the nba right now i mean as a rookie it's incredible and he out he didn't even have that in his arsenal a year ago and going left going right he missed a shot he got an unbelievable lefty tip in uh, as well uh, of his own miss like he was just uh, relentless and he was all that utah had in the fourth as okc pushed it to even more of just a ridiculous fever pitch and the level of physicality of this game as we went into the fourth quarter you know it looked like the jazz were gonna walk away with this even as russell westbrook had his own unbelievable third quarter to keep pace with mitchell to some degree jazz led it by 13 with seven minutes left in the game and then okc somehow made a a final push on the back of westbrook yeah i want to go through a couple of the a couple of the stats from westbrook so in the third quarter alone he had 20 points 7 to 15 from the field a huge four of eight from three he was just so confident with his with his shot at that point and he knew that he needed to do it then in the fourth quarter played the whole time another 11 points on 4 of 14 from the field missed had had a little bit of trouble late which i mean as the game got closer it could have really swung it not that i'm blaming him at all it's just you know that's a couple more shots fall it's different and it's it's just incredible how he is willing and able to take on these massive workloads in terms of shot creation because he's creating all of these shots other than a couple of botch covers there was one where jay crowder and Derek favors both lost him or never had him going to the going to the three-point line but other than that they were pretty much all created by russell westbrook and he did a lot of making shots for other people including the couple baskets Stephen adams got yeah westbrook when they went down 86 73 made a 16 footer jeremy grant off an offensive rebound for Stephen adams hits his own three-pointer right off after his own missed three-pointer this is right after they went to raymond felton by the way this is seven minutes left felton enters the game for brewer they never go back to mellow of course uh after that there's a timeout westbrook off a rebound sprints down gets a dunk jay crowder fouls him and all of a sudden a 13 point game goes to five in basically a minute and a half uh that's when mitchell had that huge tip shot after that to put the jazz back up seven and rudy gobert had a layup to make it nine and then the thunder were able to get back again but just they even got back within one on another ridiculous westbrook three-pointer but then i think this was the key shot of the game to me mitchell is trapped on the side gobert is like trying to post up and off of a switch they're swarming mitchell and Derek favors who has shot worked so hard on his mid-ranger but one of the worst mid-range shooters in the nba this year he'd been better at it in previous years sprints to the foul line and gets the jump shot because his man grant was a little bit worried about the drive from the pick and roll on the side and hits that j to put them up three and that's then after that was just i wouldn't need to quite do possession by possession here but let me just read to you the play-by-play russell westbrook misses driving layup steven adams offensive rebound this is all with thunder down three paul george misses 29 foot three-point jumper russell westbrook offensive rebound russell westbrook misses 30 foot three-point jumper raymond felton offensive rebound and then billy donovan got a timeout with 37.9 left that was actually their last timeout but it felt like it was just so frantic that i totally understand why it was that he called it and then they got george that oh no i'm sorry that no, there were That's two right. other offensive right. rebounds between them and the George shot. No, no there's one more. George drove on Gobert. And I thought actually that Gobert may have fouled him on that play too. Uh, George went up. Gobert was on the ground, but had his arms forward. I thought there was contact on the arm of George. He missed the layup. Gobert, again, was just massive around the rim in this game. Steven Adams gets the offensive rebound. Westbrook misses a 30-footer. And then they get another offensive rebound uh, on what it was initially called a jump ball. But Grant ended up, it was ruled, knocked it out of mitchell's hands and it went off of mitchell barely and they gave the ball to the thunder again yeah i'd forgotten that that happened and then they put carmelo in at the, at the end uh and that it was 18 seconds left when george missed that three-pointer i think i said it was like a little earlier than that yeah it was an absolutely insane frantic ending and 
the Thunder made they made so many chances. They ended up not converting those. It can't happen. It's basketball. That's the way it goes. But an absolutely just incredible game that had so many different facets to it because you had that long stretch where it looked like, you know, early on I thought Utah was was humming, then go then Rudy sorry, Ricky Rubio goes out with the injury, and then yeah. you're like, Oh, how are they gonna figure and they this out? Switching everything. And, and you're like, they just have no chance they have no plan, they have no chance against this thunder length and the switching, and then all of a sudden they just like start killing them and they put up thirty seven in the third I, it was, it was yeah. just so unexpected and it also tied in with another theme from the series where what was so weird about it why i thought the jazz didn't didn't have a chance was because i thought anything they had on the sort of switching defense would have been generated based on game five that was key in the collapse and then when they didn't have an answer you're like oh well they just don't have one and then going to favor slipping the screen going to a couple of the other approaches in the second half really did open things up and they looked the jazz offense looked different different it looked more coherent there so credit to Quinn Snyder and the coaching staff I mean that's a full coaching staff effort to, to get stuff but that's why I, I felt the way that I did second time I made a big pronouncement in this series both of which were wrong one was saying that OKC was done when they were down 25 in game five and then saying Utah was in big trouble when they ended up coming back but the process behind both of those was these teams had faced that same problem before and had didn't didn't appear to have fixed it and then for whatever reason reason after that happens they actually go to the thing that worked yeah and again i think just targeting mellow more was awesome another thing too while rubio you know has been pretty good in this series they did go to donovan mitchell at point guard and they were really helped by the fact that favors and gobert was their best front court because now that pushed everyone down you could play crowder at the three you had ingles who played 42 minutes in this one uh three of six from three including a beautiful step back uh they went to royce o'neill they had burks but they became because they wanted to play favors and gobert together that gave them more wings to put into the rotation and we saw for those who kind of doubt that donovan mitchell's best position might be point guard i'm not sure if there are that many of those doubters i've been saying it should be that for a long time especially because of what you can do defensively to get more size on the floor and he did all of what he was doing at point guard and they had a little more shooting on the floor than they would normally have with rubio and just putting it in mitchell's hands every time i thought was fantastic and uh oh he he basically was the guy who won in this game along with Gobert who uh, again I what did the Thunder shoot at the rim in this game it can't have been good so the final line was they ended up 13 of 22 in the restricted area and then another 6 of 16 in floater range yeah and only two shooting fouls uh, on plays at the rim as well and and the bigger thing than the percentage which is not an amazing one is the 22 shots at the rim that's basically for a Thunder team that has Russell Westbrook Steven Adams on the offensive glass Grant a, a good finisher to only get 22 two shots at the room I and mean, that's just the go bear and the favors effect too favors had some massive blocks in this game when you play those two guys together if you can't space those guys out you're gonna just have massive problems scoring and really what ended up happening with paul george having a miserable game he had was two of 16 one of them was a massive dunk that he uncorked at the rim and i, I can't even remember what his other make was maybe a, a mid-ranger or something uh but with him going so poorly and westbrook to me he had no choice but to take all those shots right i mean those 43 shots like who else was gonna do it he had it going reasonably well and if the thunder d could have just held up a little bit more the way it had in the first two games or, or i'm sorry the way it had down the end of game five then all of a sudden you know this westbrook strategy would have been enough to bring them home but they just couldn't quite be efficient enough defensively and you're only while you know bill simmons had this point of you know teams can't win playing this way with this many shots and, and you're right i mean unless you just have an unbelievable defense there's just no way one person can shoot 43 shots especially with uh, so many of them jumpers so many of them with the favors and gobert on the floor and have you be a really efficient offense i mean it's like even when he got hot from three it was like you know he's gonna shoot so many shots that it has to regress to the mean there's no way that you can be that hot over that many shots uh and make you know well over 50 percent of your threes or over 50 percent of your twos um and that's what ended up happening and the jazz offense just gave them enough points especially in that third quarter i think that's really what okc will look back on something else we've alluded to it but i think we should be more outright of it paul george was massive in game one i think it was a big part of why they won that game and defensively i thought he had he had a very good series overall but he just couldn't find the stroke in this game two of 16 from the field missed all six of his threes got to the line for just two shots and split those he did have eight assists but also had six turnovers and a couple of his turnovers were of the head scratching variety like weird passes went through his or you know like 
like just out on the perimeter 40 feet from the basket just a totally normal pass well and then i think somebody just ripped him once like he was just dribbling the ball and just it got taken from him and george not the greatest ball handler in the world i mean i don't think that has to be a strength for a player who's not your primary ball handler it's certainly useful we've seen that from all over, all over the all over the court but he just didn't have it today and another surprising kind of part of this game i talked about raymond felton a little bit you know that he played but also going to josh Hustis and patrick patterson not playing at all like i I understand that on the switch system patterson has some limitations but having another player especially with the way that patterson freaked out gobert a couple times earlier in the series i just think that could have opened things up a little bit for the other guys on the team no i I think that's right i I thought that patterson his jumper actually looked okay to me in series but yeah and you know the drama now in okc will start right carmelo anthony cannot be happy about having played this few minutes in this closeout game and that and after obviously you know donovan listened to him and they came came through i think in spite of him in game five with the comeback and this time he finally finally just didn't play him but maybe even played him too much you know but i i don't think it was ever realistic that he was going to play fewer than 26 minutes that's what he played in this one but i mean the negative 19 it just killed him he's getting killed every time on defense and at some point you have to say to a player if you hey you're not giving me enough offensively for what you're doing on, on defense and i know carmelo anthony is a really respected guy around the league very connected not the kind of guy you want to piss off he waived his no trade clause to come to okc this is not what he envisioned but i mean some say you gotta win the fucking game man like and donovan just did not quite have the balls to do it you know, i'm sure that this was probably a discussion that he even had with management after at various times this year and especially now um and that really killed them but and if they could have gotten back at home game seven they probably would have been big favorites but i, I thought they were just they're massively outplayed by utah in the series and if westbrook and george at the same time just couldn't give them these unbelievable efforts you know and worth noting westbrook had two ga- good games in the series george had two good games in the series and they won two games in the series although westbrook's good what other good one was tonight so this was clearly a massively flawed team they weren't that good utah was, was fantastic they won without their starting point guard in this game and uh, they'll be moving on to play against the houston rockets would you like to do a prediction for that series just quickly before oh, yeah. that story of this game another piece i thought steven adams played really yeah. well eight offensive battling bat yeah a nice touch on his floater something we've talked about all season and i thought he contested well and, and early on he was taking advantage of gobert being very afraid of committing fouls gobert ended this game with just one personal foul and so he was attacking got a couple finishes including an alley-oop one-handed alley-oop catch and dunk and so i wanted to just make sure we get shouted out steven adams because i thought he did a really nice job in this game yes thank you for doing that i meant to and and i uh, forgot about it so this series against houston jazz on a very quick turnaround what is your prediction uh, you can go first on this one uh we'll do the uh pels actually so we can do pels warriors like right after this because we don't really have a natural lead in for that other than this okay i picked utah because of this idea of styles makes fights and i thought that the way okc plays tied in too much with what utah's strengths were i feel that same thing in this series except that it's utah into houston's hands and what i mean by that is we saw in this series that utah other than donovan mitchell and we don't know we don't know ricky rubio's availability in the in this upcoming series we have basically the same information anybody else well, does. can i make a guess and I, I think he's gonna miss at least the first game i would be I, I very surprised i mean playing he couldn't continue in this game you know he would have if it were even remotely possible when it's not even remotely possible so think of here's a, an analog for you right chris paul game 7 2015 against the spurs you remember that he hit that heroic shot but he messed up his hamstring and then he actually missed the next two games but he was even able to play on now chris paul on that team on one leg versus ricky rubio on this team on one leg and whether you're hurting the team you know d- difficult to say rubio is clearly unable to move and if, if a hamstring injury is that bad it's rare that it's going to be less than a week before you come back so my prediction he's going to miss at least game one especially with the quick turnaround especially with the flight which definitely doesn't help you heal and i think he could well miss game two also so that, that's my prediction i i think he comes back in game three most likely yeah i think that's a, a reasonable timeline with this and so i do think that utah's defense is for real i think they can you know they can make life hard on houston but i think utah's offense is going to be the big story donovan mitchell will have some nice games so i was vacillating between i think on kind of on on talent and fit and all that i would be going towards utah or sorry houston and six but because of the uncertainty of the rubio injury also the idea that houston i think will 
they'll they'll just have some hot offensive games there. They'll get into that cycle. And I'm going to go Houston in five. And this is another one of those. I'm not tactically thinking about this. If I were going at like our competition, even though we haven't ironed out the scoring yet, I'd probably go Houston in six. But I'm going to go with what I think is the most likely outcome. And so Houston in five. I will go there as well. But I want to talk a little bit more about the matchup. We saw what OKC's switching when they weren't just like screwing it up or when they didn't have Carmelo Anthony involved was able to do to the Utah Jazz. Now is a team that may even have surpassed Golden State because Golden State doesn't play this way all the time as the best switching team in the NBA. And they can switch one through five. They love to switch one through five. Especially, they also played against a team in the Wolves that plays two bigs. We'll see whether Utah can get away with that. But without Rubio, it becomes a lot harder with one fewer player in your wing rotation. I think that Utah is really going to struggle to score in this series. It's going to take more Herculean effort from Donovan Mitchell one-on-one and maybe they'll try and get Harden out in the perimeter on Mitchell I hope that they do because I I think Harden can really be beaten much more easily one-on-one in the perimeter but Houston is expert at shrinking the floor especially when two bigs are out there just ask the Minnesota Timberwolves who really only had one good offensive game in their series and that's a much better offensive team than Utah now of course Utah is a completely different animal on the defensive end and I think that even Minnesota we saw the Spurs last year have a decent amount of success against Houston trying to play the pick and roll two on two leaving their big back at the rim there is no better big in the NBA to execute that system than Rudy Gobert and you know especially to try and maybe take away those Clint Capella alley-oop two on two as well he's a master at that the other advantage that the Jazz have is they don't really play anyone who's just that easy of a mark for Harden to get switched onto a Mitchell Rubio I think is fine if he's going to be out there Royce O'Neal Jay Crowder Ingles even you know is a little slow for Harden but you know he's not just like someone that oh you go one-on-one at him he's just going to get torched every time Harden is certainly capable of beating those guys plenty but uh, the Jazz are not really a switching team and so I think that's going to be more conventional pick and roll we saw that Chris Paul as a mid-range artist he may have to get back into that game a little bit in this series and it'll be interesting to see where Houston is going to go in terms of their personnel they're going to go with Gerald Green more Joe Johnson looks like he's probably not going to play much for them going forward here didn't play much in the minnesota series pj tucker ariza those two guys gonna hit shots or not can they go with tucker at the five to draw gobert out of the paint i don't think he's that much of a threat that they're so worried about it uh so i think it's got to be capella and capella is a totally good switch guy too i do predict that houston is going to struggle to score a little bit uh you know they really golden state is the team that i i think is set up a little bit better to beat utah and you know you wouldn't think so because they have this great off dribble shooting ability from Harden but we've seen him struggle against these more conservative schemes in the playoffs for whatever reason and so this series to me is going to answer a lot of questions about what Rudy Gobert's impact is against one of these great modern offenses and then where James Harden is at now as a player too he had some stinkers against Minnesota he had obviously some massive games a lot of course will come down to the three-pointers for Houston but I ultimately think it'll be a hard-fought five-game series as well I think Houston is going to be just too good but it wouldn't shock me if we see it go a, a little bit longer than that uh seven would be a, a pre- pretty big surprise to me though but we'll see maybe gobert is just that good I, I can't wait to find out one injury note we talked about the questions with ricky rubio it sounds like luke richard and bob mute is going to be evaluated next week we're recording this on friday night of course so he could be back for a portion of the series but we don't have a real timeline there if he's on the floor that gives that houston even more defense to put against utah let's talk a little bit about pell's warriors now uh Steph Curry in a little bit of an upset and perhaps subterfuge went through a couple of full practices just recently he played five on five full contact I believe both in both of those practices he is considered questionable for tomorrow game one against the Pels at, at 7 30 p.m it does not seem like the Warriors to rush him back at all and but certainly Curry there's no person in the NBA who changes defensive schemes more than he does so just having that be in the mix certainly is useful from a preparation standpoint and if he doesn't play i i give the pals a reasonable chance to win games in the series the warriors may also struggle to reintegrate him he probably will also be on a minutes limit to start just to make sure that that knee is not going to swell up too much after games you know i think he's probably gonna be playing 20 25 minutes a game at the start of this series but if he's back at all i don't see the warriors losing home games in this series um he could probably compromise their defense a little bit which has been pretty good with the uh although they've been playing the spurs 
so there's really very little you can take from that so i think my prediction since it is my term i will go with the golden state warriors in five games but certainly a lot of variability there depending on what curry's level of health is but he is looking like he's on track to come back earlier and then the schedule for this series danny is interesting because there's that big break in the series between tuesday and then over the weekend when they're in new orleans you everyone thought oh they're going to give him another week and just come back then uh but it doesn't seem to be trending that way it doesn't seem to be something else that's super important to note a curry came off the bench his first game back last time against portland that was actually the game where he set the overtime scoring record as the warriors won i wouldn't be surprised if it's something similar that he comes off the bench plays about 20 minutes and he'll be below 100 percent whatever he plays in this series that's not a surprise i mean what are the big questions going to be what is he at after this series should the warriors advance and I'm going part of why it'll be and... important for them to win this series quickly and get him some more rest to get up to 100 percent. right and it will also be important to a point for them to root for utah to make that a longer series to kind of give them an extended an extended break in that sort of a way and what i think is the the central point in this series and this is a big big change from last time for new orleans they deserve praise for how thoroughly they eviscerated portland new orleans has to figure out a way to defend kevin durant and the Warriors have to figure out a way to defend Anthony Davis. And I think the Warriors have more options and superior options at that specific challenge than the Pelicans do with Durant. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. And I think the Warriors, they have some mismatched talent. They don't have enough shooting, but I think they still have more talent than this Pelicans team. Uh, They got it together to some degree against San Antonio, though they also had some ugly stretches in that series. The Pels finished the, the season really well. Their offense looked great with Miritich out there. I don't think that they have any answers for Kevin Durant who had 41 against them in that game that the Pels won as part of their playoff push in April worth noting that the Warriors in their game after that lost by 40 at Utah so they weren't exactly engaged so we say at that point in the process but I think that we are because the Pels had such a good matchup against Portland I think it's really we're kind of overreading them in our minds right now you know I mean if they win a seven game series against Portland are people feeling like oh they can really give the Warriors problems you know i'm not really sure about that so i think i i will go with the the five games that's what i said so um all right let's do a quick read and we'll talk about the rest of the games that happened since we were last on and that read will be from audible i have been an audible subscriber since 2005 and i used to download the books onto my ipod once you get on your phone it's much much easier now to use it you can even list it at a faster speed as well if you're that kind of person who listens to our podcast on a faster speed and i've really been enjoying it for sports books lately i read loose balls the the great book about the aba which is just that's just an unbelievable book that any basketball fan should read by terry pluto just finished up uh jonathan abrams two books by him uh the book about i think it's called boys to men about the preps to pros era which may be returning soon enough to the nba i also read his oral history of the wire which was fantastic but those kind of books are just great to get a little bit of an escape from the day-to-day of the nba podcast that i know you guys are listening to the way it works is that as an audible member you get a credit every month for any audiobook and it doesn't matter what the price of that book is you can get any book once a month and if you don't use your credit that month they're not going to take it away from you they'll roll over to the next month and if you didn't like your audiobook just exchange it for another one no questions asked and your books are yours to keep or you can share the account actually my fiance and i do that uh, through amazon they also you can set it up with WhisperSync, where if you own a book on kindle you can seamlessly switch back and forth from your last point on audible to your last point in kindle it's really fantastic if you're in the car you're just instead of just sitting there in the car in your garage almost getting carbon monoxide poisoning because you're just so into the book you can go inside and just keep reading it on your kindle the way to get started with them you can get a 30-day trial your first audiobook is free go to audible.com slash capspace or you can text our code capspace to the number 500-500 that's audible a-u-d-i-b-l-e.com slash capspace or text capspace to 500-500 let them know with that capspace code that you came from us so let's run through the rest of the day's games not as much intrigue here probably the way to go is with toronto finally closing out a first round series in less than seven games 
Wiz. The Wiz got a huge blow finding out that Otto Porter, who had been limited in the series with both an ankle injury, a, a calf injury that he suffered towards the end of the regular season, had to have a small procedure to reduce swelling in a contusion that, that he had suffered. And really, once again, this was about transition. The Wizards surged out, had a 10-point lead in the first quarter because they had 12 first quarter fast break points. And then they finished the game with 18 fast break points. Raps only gave up six more. And in the half court, the Wizards just a little bit too limited. Didn't, especially without the spacing that Porter provided Kelly Oubre, his replacement, three points, one of seven, he struggled. And Toronto got a big boost to their bench, Danny, with the return of one, Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, one of the biggest runs that Toronto went on and the one that really kind of helped establish where this game was going was at the beginning of the fourth quarter when not only was DeMar DeRozan out, Kyle Lowry was out too. And so it was an all bench lineup for the Raptors that went on a big run. Van Vliet was a part of that, fighting on defense, helping create shots for his teammates. I thought he made a big difference. A couple of big baskets from Pascal Siakam, who was active defensively yeah. as he also always had is. Three offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter, Siakam did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was actually how the game really sealed. Toronto was missing some shots in their in the half court offense, but they were getting offensive rebounds. They actually took a lot of the air out of the ball. I think it was about a you know like a minute and a half or something like that where they were just kept on getting offensive rebounds. But just to put a, a brighter line on your point. Washington, 78 offensive rating in the half court, 186 offensive rating in transition, but 10% more of their plays came in the half court than Toronto. And Toronto actually ran a lot in this game, partially because they were, yeah. they were getting opportunities. The, their bench really pushes the pace of Van Vliet being in there really right. helped that a lot. And, and DeLon Wright having four steals really helped that too. So you get, you get a lot that way. And so it, it's hard for the Wizards to sustain. They just don't have, that's not the kind of talent they have. I thought Beal had a pretty good game overall. He did some nice things early in particular, ended with 32 points, 10 to 22 from the field, six to six from the line. He did have six turnovers that's worth mentioning, but they just, the Wizards just don't have enough creation. They don't have enough conversion and Ubre, you know, disappointed in this game. If he hits a couple more of those shots, maybe this looks different, but this series had basically that feel the whole way through. Yeah. And the games when the, the Wiz were able to run, they won. Uh, otherwise they weren't. And it was a 29 to 14 fourth quarter for Toronto that did it. I, I mentioned the fact that they're able to retrieve all those loose balls in the fourth you know with some of their fresher bench players but Kyle Lowry who only played 32 minutes in this game I thought he looked so much fresher especially when he came in in the fourth he just got a couple of massive loose balls late he just shot out of a cannon just took it away from Washington players that he had no business getting to he also led Toronto with 24 points only 17 shooting possession great efficiency from Lowry also six assists offsetting a rough night from DeRozan they were actually minus six when he was in the game he only had 16 points on 20 shooting possessions so it wasn't his best game the three-pointer which had so buoyed him in this series he went back to earth on that a little bit with 0 for 4 but uh you know Wright and Van Vliet had two of the best two for six and two for seven from the field games that you'll ever see they really hounded defensively and the the Raps were able to go to more of those three guard lineups because Washington is so limited at the wing position and and I thought that that was huge as well one other thing just because I don't think we've really talked about it in this series I felt Valanchunas outplayed Gortat pretty significantly. I mean, Gortat did provide value as a screener, but Valanchunas was able to eat more than I expected, was also able to stay on the floor more than I expected. So he averaged 13.5 points and 9.3 rebounds. Not the greatest defender in a lot of circumstances, but I thought Valanchunas had a good series. Yeah. And again, with it's a series where he could be okay. There are a few times where John Wall and Gortat were able to get the pick and roll chemistry going and beat Valanchunas, but largely the Raps were able to keep Washington off the three-point line Beal was six of ten rest of team two of 12 from downtown in this game and Beal and Wall took 15 of their 22 three-point times so you see that they didn't have the spot up shooting out there and those guys weren't getting shots you know that's where they really miss Porter to a large degree and then Valanciunas with six offensive rebounds Pirtle had three offensive rebounds they overall as a team 34 percent offensive rebounds in this game that was pretty big and so Toronto finally is moving on they took care of business reasonably well in this series you know it would have been nice if they could have won game three I think it was when they were looking pretty good looked on the road to a sweep that didn't end up happening but they ultimately especially getting Van Vliet back who you know he said he doesn't have a hundred percent range of motion in his shoulder I think there's a chance of re-injury you know they're saying over the next four to six weeks so he 
it could be subject to another tweak of that at any time but he was huge the bench was huge and for washington you know this is what they do i guess they lose in the first round they lose in the second round they're kind of competitive but not that competitive and never really make you think like they're about to win the series and so i I mean i guess they bring back this next team we'll have we're going to start getting into off-season previews probably next week so we'll have a lot more to say about them we'll have a lot more to say about okc obviously at that point and so toronto now awaits the winner of the cavaliers and pacers pacers just destroyed cleveland and this was the cleveland defense that i was expecting to see a lot more of in this series and the reason why we saw that cleveland defense is because indiana actually forced the issue they pushed the ball both in transition and then just attacked a little bit earlier in the clock darren collison played a much better game and victor oladipo shot was falling he has been very inconsistent on his threes hit six of nine in game one and has basically not hit many between now and between then and now six of eight from three so Oladipo had 28 points did end up getting that triple double partially because he stayed in in the fourth quarter which I do not agree with that game was very well settled and another big question with this is there were a couple of you know injuries that are at least like Cavs players that got into stuff during this game and we'll have to see how that affects the potential how that affects game seven Kevin Love got Miles Turner's I think it was his Miles Turner's left elbow hit him right in the head and I was concerned about a concussion he ended up coming back in the game and then LeBron got popped by Thaddeus Young and he had a cut right above his eye that one I don't think is as significant but how how that affects if it affects anything and then George Hill missed this game yet again due to his back issue yeah he tried to warm up just really could not go and I mean his loss has been pretty massive had to play Jose Calderon Jose Calderon is a replacement level NBA player right now and he he had one good game in the series but he, he was reverted back at this point I don't think he even had a shot attempt in this game and going back to your point on the transition you could even see but uh, I think it was also just to be more aggressive from Carlson and it's interesting the Pacers we don't really know what the reason was were very fast paced early in the season and then slowed down to one of the slowest paces in the league as the season wore on and they were playing that way as well we lamented at the end of game five that they were not pushing the ball and you could tell there were even a couple of times where they would get a rebound and kind of Oladipo would take a couple of steps to just kind of jog it up and all of a sudden he'd be like oh yeah I'm supposed to push it and he would just shift into high gear and this Cleveland transition D is so bad that you know they have no one to protect the rim and they're slow and so especially if you can catch them when the defense isn't set and loaded towards you you can just get right to the basket or get wide open threes their communication in a scramble situation is very poor as well and here's the carnage for the numbers here for Indiana overall in transition they ran 21% of the time that's really good that's 91st percentile 21% of their possession when they ran they averaged a 1.9 points per possession that is just absolutely ridiculous. that's basically a bucket every single time they push the ball and off a live rebounds 2.2 points per possession a lot of that was Oladipo pushing and then just walking in to three pointers when the defense would just back off Oladipo was unbelievable uh had his best game since game one shot it extremely well with six of eight from downtown east he's been so feast or famine for three in the series and then collison was the other guy who i thought was so much better 15 points three of four from three for him as as a 40 percent three-point shooter and lance gave them a lot of offense early before the pacers started blowing it out he, he missed a bunch of shots late but it didn't matter he had six assists um it was really uh an outstanding game for pretty much everyone sabonis was totally unstoppable again around the rim as a role man he was plus 28 miles turner was plus 20 they played some together that both those guys they got production from and then cleveland did really had a bunch of issues in this game but they didn't get the same lebron james that they got in game five in particular as far as trying to get to the rim yeah for, for those who remember in game five nine of lebron's 11 shots in the first half were in the restricted area and it might have even been 11 to 12 I mean, it was it was a ridiculous number and he was just settling for jump shots a lot and it was often against centers he was taking that kind of left left end elbow extended above the break three and you know he ended up three of six from long range i think it was you know one of four something like that earlier in the game and he had just shown this level of domination basically no one on the pacers could guard him in game five and i don't think other than loading up and putting more guys on his side that indiana changed anything tactically to take lebron out of that not many teams can he just for whatever reason wasn't in that frame of mind wasn't wasn't in that maybe it's fatigue something else i don't know yeah i mean and it wasn't like cleveland scored well again in this series you know they had 
98 offensive rating. Indiana had a 136 offensive rating in this game, which is absolutely insane, of course. And James got even less help than usual. You know, Rodney Hood ended up with 12 points, hit a few mid-rangers, but he was ultimately negative of, of 20, negative 27. One of the things that's been surprising for me is how few threes Hood has taken. He took a lot of threes off the dribble in Utah. I thought he could add that. He's not really been doing that much at all. J.R. Smith took some tough threes, three of eight, you know, not enough to kill Cleveland. Kevin Love continues to struggle only 24 minutes. He had, was below 10 points again, zero offensive rebounds. Tristan Thompson got in when Love got smacked in the face. He was negative 16 in 14 minutes. Uh, wasn't really able to provide much. He only had two offensive rebounds. And he, I don't know if he's fallen off as a switch defender, probably has, but he had one play where Oladipo just totally burned him for a three at the end of the quarter. There were some great dunks in this series or, or in this game as well. LeBron on Sabonis, then Sabonis kind of got him back. And then Oladipo just broke J.R. Smith's ankles, went in for a dunk uh, that was kind of the side of LeBron. He almost just completely ended LeBron like two minutes before that uh, in the third quarter, but a two-hander just hit the back rim. That would have been unbelievable. But I mean, not much else to say here. You know, I, I think this game seven now, much like the other one, uh, which we'll get to, we'll talk about Thursday night's game shortly after this. But while I would never almost under any circumstances favor a road team in a game seven, unless there was just like some injury issue and the guy was back and he wasn't there earlier in the series or something like that i would give both of these road teams a much higher chance than the typical 80 percent uh home winning rate in uh these game seven i would too probably something around so for cleveland i'd say i probably have it about a six 65 percent chance for them and then for the game we're talking about later maybe like 60 percent for the celtics one thing partially because i still have that game on my mind i wanted to make this point when we were talking about okay see Utah, but I just want to make it so it's on the podcast. Something else that probably contributed to these teams being so gassed at the end, we always talk about Denver's elevation. Utah is the other team that gets a material advantage because they're th- it's the second highest elevation in the league. And considering the high intensity of those minutes, it wouldn't surprise me if they just got incredibly gassed with that helping fuel that fatigue. Yeah, that's a reasonable point. I've always wondered whether the road team between games three and four or one and two, whatever it is, when you spend more time there or play one game there, if you get more acclimated or not in the second game I'd be interested to look at that performance um nothing really that Cleveland did against Oladipo worked in this game I mean I think a lot of it is just going to come down to how well does Oladipo play uh, and does he hit his three-pointers if he shoots like this there's nothing that Cleveland can do to stop him and then what kind of LeBron are we going to see you know if LeBron I mean I think LeBron if LeBron doesn't score at least 35 points I mean, he might even have to score 40 for them to win this game you think but uh or quick turnaround nobody played that many minutes in this one though it's not a very far of a flight so you expect guys to be pretty well rested for this game seven i I can't wait to see that uh we're gonna talk milwaukee boston but first we wanted to try something a little bit new here i consider myself very lucky i know that danny does as well to be able to have this podcast that's independent and we've been looking at some ways to try to use this podcast to give back to our community our country our world really and i talked to danny about it and he turned me on to team rubicon uh which he has been donating to for quite some time i have i started donating to team rubicon back in 2012 and for me charity is a very personal thing i try to find something that really does move me and and go in that direction and team rubicon what what reached out to me was the combination of a great idea and really amazing execution of it and so what what team rubicon does is they take the idea that military veterans have this amazing set of skills that they have developed during their time in the armed forces and they realized it's a really natural fit for disaster response because a lot of times this this situations are similar and so what team rubicon does is it connects military veterans with first responders medical professionals the people that are dealing with these catastrophes and makes the situation better it can be in a lot of different ways whether it's you know helping rebuild or deal with floodwaters or emergency you know medical care and lots of different things that can happen and another reason why i like it beyond the support for veterans and i think it's a great idea is that disasters can strike anywhere this is not a partisan thing this is not a political element of it they help everybody and they've done great work from hurricane harvey maria in in puerto rico a really impressive job i've loved being you know being a donor for them has been a fulfilling experience so when nate and i talked about this that was my first suggestion yeah and uh, we'll tell you more about them in future times but you know we love great stats on the show they provided over 7.2 million dollars and deployed 4,450 volunteers in 2017 alone. Uh, 
since they began in 2010 they've done over 250 disaster response operations and 80 percent of your money goes directly to their operations on the ground i know some charities have gotten a little bit of bad press because they're not putting as much of your money towards actually helping people and there's more administrative costs that's not the case for team rubicon so if you want to learn more about them if you want to donate to them as we do go to team rubicon usa.org slash cap space easy to remember cap space of course uh, or you could text cap space to the five digit number 87872 so team rubicon usa.org slash cap space or text cap space to 87872 to learn more about them or to make a donation so we'll catch up on yesterday's action now with the bucks finishing off the celtics it wasn't that close late i will mention finish them off in game six not finish oh, off the yeah, series. yeah. That, that's what i mean yeah finish it off before it, it was too close at the end is what i was talking about so the, the bucks had a decent lead they held boston to 15 points in the second quarter and 21 in the fourth 97 86 milwaukee took it and i was impressed that the bucks i mean really i think for the last four games they've made some mistakes but they have brought excellent defensive intensity they held boston to 10 out of 36 three-point shooting but a lot of those were pretty contested late clock stuff and then milwaukee was able to outscore them 19 to 11 in the final 759 as boston really was unable to score it was pretty close by that point boston came back and then milwaukee was able to break out of contact again Giannis led all scorers with 31 he was 13 to 23 from the field and what were some of the keys to this win for the box to you danny thonmaker started the game i think that was really important he did get five fouls he was in foul trouble for stretches of this but his his you talked about defensive intensity i think that was really important chris middleton only took eight shots he still looks great offensively in this series it was weird that he he didn't get that many opportunities and terry rozier started out hot i mean a big part of the reason that boston held a 24 22 lead in a honestly pretty gross first quarter was rozier going four of six from the field three of four from three after that three of four in the first quarter he was one of eight from three in the rest of the game another huge stat in this one boston was forced into taking 21 percent of their shots with under four on the shot clock due to the bucks intensity some of their switching but just their inability to really create separation four of those or or i'm sorry 10 of those 16 shots were threes i mean those are really we're talking desperation threes at that point and then boston had to take a further 14 shots from seven to four on the shot clock so you're taking basically as boston 40 percent of your field goal attempts with under seven on the shot clock and it's just very very difficult to be efficient that that way the pace of this game was glacial as a result boston really was not able to get out and transition much the bucks were to some degree those were some key points as well and it seemed like in the first half really throughout most of this game it was just like it had been in game five just an absolute war between these teams any bucket felt like you know just a, a massive body blow to the other team mistakes just were were absolutely crushing because they were forcing the teams into such difficult shots most of the time and i liked that prunty basically went with only Giannis orthon at center except when he was forced in the second half into using zeller just a little bit and this bucks team has really been difficult to score eric bledsoe has gotten a lot of crap for some of his gambling some of his falling asleep defensively but i thought that overall his help defense was more a positive than a negative in this game he really just when he's locked and he covers so much ground and he can help off of guys just materialize in the lane with that length plays with a lot of force when he goes after that got a couple of steals he was just even forcing a guy to pick up his dribble on a drive just a little bit earlier than he wanted to Thon was flying around I mean he absolutely there was one play uh, the one where he actually ended up committing a three-shot foul but was still emblematic of his level of activity there was a driving kick they threw it to the corner and it was, Jabari Parker was the guy on the block closest to the corner and he just never moved and so Thon is like oh you're not gonna move I'll rotate out there and he almost got there but then ended up committing that foul but his you know his offense wasn't there the shots weren't falling for him from three-point range but just as a defensive player he just cleaned up so many messes in this game with his activity and then he proved pretty difficult to score on as a switch guy another impactful defensive player for Milwaukee Tony Snell I thought he did a nice job in this game also hit a couple shots two of six from three those were all of his shots in the game he didn't take any two and they just the Bucks look more balanced more competitive defensively when he's out there instead of your favorite pass for pass first point guard Malcolm Brogdon 
<laughs> yeah brogdon uh still has to take three dribbles uh before he can do anything at all even shoot sometimes though he, he did have a pretty big three-pointer again we, we joked that i think he had made five three-pointers in the series and we could remember at least three of them and they're all in the last five minutes of the game two of them in the last minute to uh either tie or take the lead for boston really nobody could get it going rosier ended up four of 12 from three wasn't really getting great looks only 18 assists for boston is not where they wanted to be they shot 37 percent from the field 28 percent from three didn't get to the foul line especially much i thought that Giannis was despite the fact that he sprained his left ankle in addition to that right ankle that he keeps sprinting was able to be much more effective offensively he hit a couple of mid-rangers which i thought were big but maybe due to the extra spacing he was able to get to the rim more i thought he was able to solve ojale and ojale uh only had one shot attempt in 22 minutes and so stevens had some really good defensive lineups really was not able to find the offensive lineups and then marcus smart negative 14 in this one gave a lot of effort but took some pretty bad threes which you don't want to do with some big ass wrap on your hand but marcus smart never that judicious and uh it's getting to the point now where for stevens they just can't score enough any longer that maybe he can't keep his best defensive units on the floor but then they don't really have any great offensive units either out there yeah going to marcus morris doesn't really solve all their problems on that end and shane larkin doesn't have much of a place to be at all in this series anymore either yeah he's another guy who provides some places to attack for milwaukee i also thought that jabari parker didn't have an unbelievable statistical game although he might have had like a per minute high in his career with nine defensive rebounds in 26 minutes he still competed enough defensively missed a couple of rotations but he wasn't just a complete sieve they weren't just destroying him when he was out there he was holding up more he was plus 11 in his 26 minutes Bledsoe still couldn't get much going offensively but again i thought he was pretty good on d so the bucks uh, got just enough defensively in this one or just enough offensively in their defense just it looks so hard for boston to score and this game seven is just gonna be like absolutely back to the stone age in terms of the offense i think the bucks are gonna struggle to score a lot more in boston the intensity is gonna be off the charts these teams are gonna be ready to kill each other there's gonna be so much length and athleticism on the floor and uh, like i said i give milwaukee a pretty damn good chance for your typical road team in a game seven in the series i'd say you know 40 percent chance they have of winning this one anything else you wanted to say on this game before we wrap up well we're gonna do it for the twitter nba yeah. show unless it get unless it gets to an insurmountable six-point lead for one of the two teams <laughs> Then maybe we'll hop over to hop over to Oracle in time to, for the beginning of that game. But it will, it'll be a lot of fun. The only other thing I want to mention, not necessarily about this game seven, but promote. I recorded and edited and released Real Gym Radio for this week, all on Friday. It is with Derek Bodner of the Athletic Philadelphia on the Sixers season, on where it's going. He also talks about which team he thinks would be better for the Sixers in terms of winning Game Seven, which we disagreed on. That which was always which is always fun, and it's a, a good conversation very different from the kind of stuff we do here but i think people will enjoy it oh also my uh off-season preview for the charlotte hornets came out for those who don't want the upliftingness of the sixers you can read about the hornets limited flexibility and trading him oh yeah i mean so many of these are just going to be completely depressing minnesota you already did detroit too right i wrote it it hasn't come out yet portland i'm sure you're gonna be doing too i mean you're really just getting to like the absolute dregs of the league in terms of cap space no but it's like it's more than half the league in terms of teams that I, i mean it's not like the Knicks preview is going to be much sunnier. I mean, there are all these teams because there are, you know, like nine teams, I think is the estimate that I'm using right now that ex- I would expect to use cap space this year. Oh, you know what? We have some news. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's a thing that still happens. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's start here. San Antonio, Pau Gasol said he plans to be back next season. My response to that is no shit. He's owed another $23.5 million over the next <laughs> That was years. actually his first answer. I was in, I was oh, in the yeah? room when that happened. And he's like, I'm under contract for it. He didn't say the exact number, but he's like, I'm under contract for next year, so I'll be here. I was like, yes. Yeah. It was a I great mean, Basically, players do not retire when they have guaranteed money that's that much. I mean, we saw Tim Duncan leave $6 million. He didn't leave $6 million on the table. They actually just waived him and stretched him uh, before he retired. KG ended up getting all of his $8 million when he kind of retired before the season. Uh, more interesting news. We had talked about uh, Mike Budenholzer and Atlanta agreeing to part ways. It turns out 
that bud will get all of his money so and it was reported by the atlanta journal constitution that he was effectively fired uh he did not want to resign due to that money however he retains the offset clause in his contract so wherever he signs now uh that will be offset but now i think that opens up more destinations to him because if he doesn't make as much as he's gonna make in atlanta then atlanta just covers the difference but it seemed like it made more sense for atlanta just to move on from him now because then maybe they could lose out on their next selection for a coach as well if they didn't do this now they couldn't start interviewing on their own and some of the names that have been floated in atlanta all kind of assistant types young guys coming in more inexpensive and we'll see where bud in fact ends up bud will still have plenty of incentive to get as much money as he can because presumably he only had two years left on his contract his new contract will go beyond that uh in denver mason Plumley will have surgery for a core muscle injury that sounds like maybe a, a sports hernia um he's supposed to be able to return to basketball activities in the summer so that's usually sports hernia surgery is usually like six to eight weeks so it sounds like probably what this is his teammate jamar murray had a similar procedure last year and then memphis in a total non-surprise has brought in jb bickerstaff on a permanent basis per Woj, it's a three-year contract to be their head coach and i mean anytime you can you can bring back somebody who stewarded you to a complete like the just an absolutely thrilling season like the memphis grizzlies did and i'm not saying win loss record should be any part of this for jb bickerstaff but i've been in you know because he he was the interim head coach for the rockets back when they had that super weird series for the warriors a couple of years ago when the wheels totally went off the wagon i've never really seen too much from bickerstaff it does seem like their players do like him but it's weird because he's not a retread because he's never had a head job before but i've just never really seen much in terms of what he runs or anything to to be particularly inspired by it but i'm guessing he fit within para's financial constraints yes uh, and he's already been there he was at least a good soldier during the tank i mean i guess para was just happy that they didn't lose by 65 to the hornets instead of 61 and, and decided to, to bring him back in uh but yeah i mean i agree you know the personnel was certainly limited here the veterans there seem to like him he's not going to be expensive but if you wanted to tell me like one thing other than in theory relating to some players that he does well as a coach or what he stands for other than just kind of your usual smash smash mouth cliches uh i would be hard pressed to come up with anything there so uh i think if we had to do coach rankings he would be very much towards the bottom of the league we'll see how he does next year you know with a real team he's been in some weird situations maybe he'll look better but i haven't seen anything too particularly encouraged there uh okay that'll do it for today please don't forget about team rubicon by the way team rubicon usa.org slash cap space is that url to learn more about that charity which we are supporting here and our schedule we will be back on sunday night with a pair of game sevens will be in the books by that time looking forward to discussing those till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply